So uh, we were on vacation last week, and I just wanted to recognize Renee Palacios holding it down preaching. Woohoo! I listened back to the sermon. It was awesome. I, of course, did not watch the service as it would happen because that would give me a panic attack. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, we, everybody who, who it's, it's a real comfort to me that we have really solid people who, uh, who are co-laborers with us and we can go on vacation and know that it's all going to be awesome. And it was. So um, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open them to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, verse 14. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Now, we are still in the Ten Commandments series, and if you remember, there are loads and loads of verses, because the, the Ten Commandments trace their path throughout the Scripture, and, um, and so we're going to be jumping around the text a lot. If you, if you don't feel confident in your ability to flip fast, the text will be on the screen. And um, also, another disclaimer is that um, this is going to be a marriage-centric sermon. We don't, like, like single people often, it's like, oh, great, this church just talks about marriage all the time. There's nothing for me here. Um, but just know that typically we do not, we are not always marriage-centric. This is just one, one uh, exception to that rule because of the nature of the text. Um, but you might even be saying, well, Ten Commandments, like, how, how is that, like, relate to Jesus? Like, like now that Jesus has come, don't, isn't that kind of like a museum piece? I want to start us by saying what the Ten Commandments aren't. The Ten Commandments are not ten things to do to earn salvation. Jesus did that for us by dying on the cross and rising again. They are also not ten things you do to earn God's favor. Let's look real quick at Romans 13, 8 through 10. What Paul says about the Ten Commandments. He says, Oh, no one ever anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So what is it to fulfill God's law? It's to walk in love. The Ten Commandments are the arrows that point us towards living a life of love, towards God, and towards others. Making sense? Okay. thought you guys would like that text. So our text today is incredibly simple. It's two words in Hebrew, no adultery in, in English. It's you will not commit adultery, which is a good translation. But as we're going to see, it is something much deeper than avoiding one destructive behavior. Let's pray before we get started. Father God, I pray that your word would speak powerfully to us, that whether we are married, divorced, single and want to be married, single and don't want to be married, uh, that, that your word would guide us in the path that you want your people to walk. In Jesus' name, amen. There's an old book, classic book, called The Giving Tree. And I know that as soon as we put this up, some of the tear ducts are starting up for some of you guys. You're like, oh, God, not this. The, the storm this will unleash, please don't. For those of you who don't know The Giving Tree, it's by Shel Silverstein, who's a very weird dude. Um, and, Shel, and, and in the book, it's about this boy and this tree, and they're best friends. And the boy would climb the tree's trunk and swing in her branches and rest in her shade and eat her apples. 
and the tree was happy. But then the boy stayed away one, t one day, and he stayed away for a number of years, and he came back, and he's a young man, and the, the giving tree gets excited and says, boy, climb my trunk, swing in my branches. And he says, you know, I'm not super interested in that anymore. What I'd really like is to make some money and have some fun. Can you give me some money? And the giving tree says, I, I don't have any money, but here, take my apples and sell them at the market, and then you can... You, you can be happy. And so he took the apples, and, and it says, and the tree was happy. And he stays away for a number of years again, and he comes back, and, and he's, he's even older. And she says, boy, climb in my branches, rest in my shade. And he says, ah, I don't really want to do that. But I do want to have a family, and so I'm going to need a house. Do you have a house for me? And, and the giving tree says, well, I don't have a house, but you could take my branches and build a house and have a family and then you'll be happy. So he takes her branches and, and it says, and the tree was happy. And then years later, he comes back in late middle age and he's, he's stooped and he's bitter. And, and the tree gets excited and she says, boy, climb my trunk, rest in my shade. And, and he says, I, I don't want to do that. It didn't work out with my family and what I really want is just to get away can you get me away from here? She says, well, you could cut down my trunk and make a canoe and then paddle far away and then you'll be happy. So he cuts down her trunk and says, and the tree was happy. She's just a stump now. And says, but not really. And a long, long time passed. And then the boy comes back and he's an old man. And she gets excited and she says, boy, I, I would invite you to to climb my trunk, but I don't have it anymore. He's like, well, I'm too old to do that. I, I would give you an apple, but I don't have any apples anymore. And he says, well, I don't have any teeth. And she says, well, well what can I do for you? He says, you know, I, all I really want is a place to rest. And so the giving tree says, well, stump is a pretty good place to sit down and rest. And so he sits down on the stump. And it says, and the tree was happy, the end. Now, I read that to my kids one night, and I said, guys, this is a beautiful picture of an abusive relationship. <laughs> Think about that. People talk about this thing as that this is what love looks like. This isn't love. This is abuse. This is someone clawing their needs purely selfishly out of another person until they are nothing but a stump. The seventh commandment is not just about don't commit adultery. It's a forbiddance of selfish love, okay, of which adultery is an extreme example. In a lot of relationships, the way people lean in is what can I get out of this person? Have you ever heard, like, me and my friends, we used to talk about our ideal spouse, and it sounds like we're talking about buying a car. Well, it has to be the right body type, and, you know, it has to kind of do things I like doing, go to the mountains, carry my amp, that sort of thing. <laughs> you know, if I'm the first owner, that'd be great, not the end of the world if I'm not, and certainly not a former rental. Anyway. <laughs> but seriously, like, like, people talk about a, a, a relationship or a person 
in terms of what do they give me? Are my needs going to be met? Am I going to be able to get out of this relationship what I need to get? And our society has a very consumeristic, selfish way that we love. And this isn't just in marriages. This is in friendships as well. Oh, I'm not going to hang out with them. They're real tough to deal with right now. They're in a hard spot. It brings me down. Oh, God forbid that being in a relationship with someone else would cost you something, right? It's all about what I get. And the, the evidence of this mentality is everywhere. That when this stops giving me what I need, when the downsides of this relationship outweigh the upsides, I'm out. Just like a car, once this thing's more trouble than it's worth, I'm going to trade it in for something new. And you see the divorce rate in our country. We do not have a nation with thriving marriages. We're at 50% divorce rate. And no matter how much we try to disrupt the binary and whatnot and, and make people realize that there's all sorts of families, still, kids from single-parent households have higher rates of risky behavior, uh, uh, you know, doing heavy drugs, going to prison, and so on and so forth. The effects are devastating because marriage is right in every society, not just post-World War II society, as some historians will try and convince you, but through all human society, marriage is the fundamental building block of that society. And so when we have a consumer mentality about marriage, when we love selfishly, when we're like that little boy ripping the other person down until they're nothing but a stump, we are outside of love. How else can we do this? If I'm not going into a relationship, especially a marriage, to get my needs, well, what am I doing? How do I get those needs met? Is there another way to understand love? Look with me at Romans 5.8. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God pursues relationship with us. God dies on a cross to be in relationship with us. While we were what? Rebels against God. What was Jesus getting in this deal? People who had rejected him. Think of that. Was he saying, what? You know, I'm going to enter in this relationship because I'm going to get something out of it. No, that's not what he was thinking at all. He was simply laying down his life and loving us selflessly, loving the unlovely, loving those who don't love him back. And what's that got to do with the seventh commandment? It's this. The key to a thriving marriage and any relationship is to follow the way of Jesus. He's not just our Savior, he's our Lord. His pattern of dying to self and loving selflessly is the pattern that we are to follow him in. And this is the key to any thriving relationship. You want any relationship to thrive, we need to love as Jesus has loved us, selflessly. And so we're thinking about the Ten Commandments like a dartboard. I'm not a good dart player. I aim for the middle. If I hit the middle, first try. I'm so stoked. 
If I still hit the board somewhere close to the middle, pretty happy with that shot. If I hit the wall, I'm taking that one back, right? That's a miss. The, the Ten Commandments, the committing of adultery, tells us where the wall is. That's breaking this. And then we're going to talk about what are the positive. It's not just a don't, but what are the do's of the Seventh Commandment? And then what does it look like to hit the bullseye? So that is break, keep, love. Got it? Break, keep, love. So to avoid breaking it, it's to not love selfishly. And this the selfish love can be in actions and it can be in desires. Remember, adultery is the most extreme form of self-love, or, or of selfish love, not self-love. Proverbs 6.32 says this, He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Okay? And if we think about that, like, like the act of adultery is saying, I will destroy my family. I will rip apart my community. I will dishonor God. And everything else, why? To fulfill my own desires. It's the little boy ripping that tree without regard for its good. It's the ultimate in selfish love. And so it's, there's the action, but it goes deeper than that. Jesus talks about even the desire of adultery. Matthew 5, 27 through 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, what Jesus is talking about is not that if you, you know, you notice Helen Mirren still got it going on that you've committed adultery, right? Like, that's just eyeball evidence that we have to admit. Um, <laughs> like, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about having that desire of lust and going with it internally, okay? So there is, you can break it by the action or you can break it internally by entertaining the desire that is to love selfishly. And you see this all over the place. You see people who are in their marriages who haven't committed the act, but are still leaning in in a selfish way. We, I have one family member who shortly after he got married said, you know, my wife really loves to serve me and I love being served. But, I mean, 16 years later, they are still divorced. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's leaning in to claw your needs out of someone, right? Your focus in your marriage is how do I get my needs met? My sexual needs, my hobbies given priority, my career given priority over theirs. My point understood, I win the fights, I get my way, my feelings of being in love are absolute. And you see this part, this, mm. all right, Please. The, the idea of the in love experience is so enshrined in our culture, the gaga love thing, okay? If, if you don't hear anything else, you who are either married or want to get married, the in love experience if, if you are looking for that, if that is your reason for marrying someone, or if you are married and you lose the in-love experience and you say, that's why I'm going to leave, or if you feel it with someone else and you follow it, 
If that's your reason for getting married, for getting divorced, or for committing adultery, that is the height of foolishness. That is the height of selfish love. Here's why. The in-love experience is about 95% sexual, okay? And it's something that comes and goes in any relationship. It doesn't matter with who. It is not an eternal thing, no matter what the movies tell us. They never show you the part about living happily ever after five years later, okay? It, the, to lean in to a relationship with selfish love, to get your needs met, what I need, what I want, is to break the seventh commandment. So what does it mean to hit the board? It's to stay committed. It's to stay committed. Stay committed to who? Well, let's look together at Malachi 2, 13 and 14. We're going to see that marriage is a commitment not only to the other person, but to God. Malachi 2, 13 and 14 says this. This is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it from, with, with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So a breach of marriage covenant, God takes as a breach of covenant with him. So when we are talking about staying committed, marriage is not just a commitment to human beings, your spouse, your family, your community, but it is a commitment to God as well. And, and why do we need to stay committed? Why is this a crucial part of, of obeying God and, 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 and hopefully getting towards a thriving marriage? It's because there are parts you need commitment for. Okay, uh, my favorite thing to do um, is to do an obstacle race. Chris, we've done one together, right? Jason, we've done one. We're planning another one September 18th. I don't know if you heard that. It'd be fun to join. Uh, but like for me, I first of all love a trail run. But to, to have a trail run where you also have to crawl through the mud under like a net or climb something or like jump something or swing on something, it's adult recess. I love it. My best day possible. And so I was doing the Tough Mudder 10-miler a, a couple of years ago. And, you know, I, it's, it's my best life happening. And uh, yay! And, and then I come to this one thing that's kind of notorious. It's at the end. They leave it for the last obstacle. It's called electroshock therapy. And uh, you can see those guys are not having fun. And what it is is, is it's, it's hundreds of electrical wires. Those are all live wires. Some of them are a tickle. Some of them will knock you on the ground and you don't know which is which. And yeah, I know, it's crazy. And so all the other obstacles, people were kind of cruising through them. When I got to electroshock therapy, everybody was just standing around looking at it, looking at this thing. They were like, okay. And I was like, oh, you bunch of wimps. Here I go, woo, tang. And I, I just charged for the wires, and I hit, I hit one of the hard ones first thing, and it throws me on the ground, boom. And, and I get up, and I'm looking at it with the rest of them, like, oh. This will not be, the race we're doing does not have this, by the way. Um, and so we finally came up with a plan. We came up with a plan that we were going to lock arms and that no one lets go and we are going to walk through this thing together no matter what till we get to the other side. And we did. Sometimes marriage is best life. Sometimes it's me on an obstacle course. Yay, 
this is so fun. This is great. I don't, who needs marriage counseling, you bunch of chumps? It's easy. And sometimes it's electroshock therapy. And there's only one way through. It's to lock arms and say, there is no exit. We get through this together. Now, real quick, does that mean there are no biblical reasons to initiate a divorce? There are some Bible teachers who love the Lord and, and are good Bible teachers who advocate a marriage for life. So even if you are beaten by your spouse, even if your spouse cheats, you have to stay in. All right, And they, they think that this is the most honoring thing to the covenant of marriage. But we don't need to keep ourselves holier than Jesus tells us to. Okay, like that, that's like going for the extra mile of what Jesus requires is not required. So in Matthew 5.32, I don't have these verses, just listen. Uh, Jesus does allow for a, a, a you know, when, when someone commits adultery, that is a reason for a biblical end of marriage. Or abandonment in 1 Corinthians 7.15. Uh, Paul allows for uh, someone to remarry when their spouse abandons them. Now an important addendum here is that there's two ways to abandon. Someone leaves or someone makes it impossible for the other one to stay. So severe abuse, uh, severe, highly severe addiction, and uh, ma making it impossible for the other. Now, now I'm not saying that, that the marriage covenant is taken lightly. I'm saying it's lock arms and there is no exit. But we do want to make sure that, that those of you uh, who have either gone through a divorce for those reasons uh, are, are not hearing, or, 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 or might need to, uh, are not hearing that God is against that and that you need to stay in an abusive or adulterous marriage. Um, but here's the thing. Here's why staying committed is so key. It's because you're both terrible. <laughs> it's because we're all awful. All of us have problems that are so severe that any sane person would run the other way screaming if they knew what they were ahead of time. There are maybe six people on planet Earth that don't have serious problems. You can try to marry them. You can find those six people and go for it. <laughs> oh, that's sweet, Carolyn. It's like, Brandon doesn't have any problems. Oh, that's a good, see, see, that's love covering a multitude of sin. <laughs> I didn't mean to throw you under the bus like that, Brandon, but enjoy the ride under there. Anyway. <laughs> Seriously, guys, you are so difficult that the only way to stay married to you is if someone has locked arms and said, there is no exit. We're getting through together. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not flattering you much in this sermon, am I? Yeah, I keep it real around here. No relation, like you can't get to the good parts of your relationship unless you lock arms through the electroshock therapy parts. Making sense? Like, it, it, if you're like, oh, this is so hard, I'm going to find someone easier. You're not going to. You're going to run into problems with whomever you are with. Pick your problems. But you can work through, and God will give you the grace to get through, any problem you encounter if you are both committed. We need to stay committed when the emotions aren't there. We need to stay committed when it feels easier and maybe smarter, and even your friends are telling you, oh, you should just get out. We need to stay committed when the negatives are heavily outweighing the positives. 
And commitment isn't just not leaving. Commitment is you're willing to do anything. You're telling me that the love is gone in your marriage. What have you done? What have you done about it? Your marriage is hard. What have you done about it? How committed are you to this? Because to, to, to kind of one foot in on a marriage is to love selfishly, and that's not how our Lord loved us at all. He loved us selflessly. So, is God's design for us to live in a miserable commitment? No, not at all. The, the, the heart of the seventh commandment is not just against uh, the, the breaking of it, but the, the, there is a positive good that leads to, to a thriving marriage. It's to love your spouse as Jesus loves you. To love your spouse as Jesus loves you. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 28. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, you notice this was directed husband to wife, so does this mean that it doesn't have to go the other way? Please, let's have brains, folks. This is obviously addressed to both, right? Like, we both need to love our spouse as Jesus loves us. So what does that mean? What does this text say? How, how did Jesus love us? Well, it's to die to yourself. Right there in verse 25, it says, Love your wives as Christ loved the church, and what gave himself up for her? It's to die to ourselves. To say, my needs are not as important as them. It is also to seek their good. In verse uh, 26, it says, that what, why did he do this? That he might sanctify her. Okay? It is not just him dying, but it is dying to benefit his people. So it is die to ourselves, seek their good. The amazing thing is, this is very counterintuitive. You're like, but I'm not going to get my needs met. Right? Like, the opposite is true. This is the only way your needs do get met. Th there was one time, we had just had Rivka. So we just had our fourth child, infant. And uh, those of you who have ever had an infant, you know that this is like, <laughs> these are the war years, right? And, uh, and I, I, went to, I saw that my favorite band was coming to town, Public Enemy. And I went to Sharon. I had never seen them. I said, Sharon, I, Public Enemy's coming to town. And, and I couldn't get another word out. She says, you're going. I said, but here's the thing. And I'm totally cool with not going. She says, you're going. I said, it, it's going to be a very late show. You're going. I, I won't be able to help with bedtime. You're going. And I won't be able to get up with the kids in the morning. I'll be home at like 3 in the morning or something like that. And she's like, that's fine. It's your favorite band. You can't not go. Okay? So it, it, understanding what it meant for to, ha to do bedtime and then do morning time while I went to a show? Do you know, I was ready to run through a wall for her after that. I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to get my needs. I'm like, man. I, you know, like she was dying to herself and seeking my good, and I wanted to do the same thing right back. We do have needs. We have needs for companionship, for affection, 
We have sexual needs. We have, uh, you know, needs for security. We have needs for rest. We have need for recreation. Know the way that you don't get them is when two people try and claw them out of each other because then you're just clawing. You're both, you're both the little boys and neither of you is a giving tree. Right? No one's needs are getting met. Just a lot of frustration, a lot of arguments. But what if you're both trying to, get to, to, to die to your own needs and make sure the other has their needs met, to seek the good of the other who's getting their needs met? Both. Funny how that is, that the way of Jesus is also the main dance step you need to know to have a thriving marriage. How do we die to ourselves? It's to not focus on our needs. It's to meet their needs. It's to lose the fight when you know that you're right. It's to not think about what you need, but to think about what they need. And it's also to seek their good. And this is really key. A lot of us think of marriage as some sort of arrangement for getting our needs met. It's not that. There's a goal. There's a mission to marriage. It's to form Christ in the other person. God will use spouses in each other's lives to communicate his grace and love to them, to transform them. Those of us who are married, in, in, you know, like you can attest that God uses your spouse in powerful ways in your life. When we are loving like Jesus loved, getting our needs met is a byproduct of that. We need to focus on what God's goal for marriage is. That is to form Christ in each other. And you may be sitting there saying, boy, I hope my spouse is hearing this. I hope you're hearing it. <laughs> right? We, we have a saying at our house, worry about yourself. You can't start by trying to fix up your spouse. We need to start with you. A lot of you guys know that I went through a divorce in my early 20s. And it was utterly devastating. I was on the receiving end of, of adultery and abandonment. It is incredibly painful to experience what it is to be loved so selfishly. And th there's not many things I've done right in my life. But after I kind of recovered from that and was kind of, kind of considering like I could get married, I did everything the opposite of how I did it before. Instead of having a consumer mentality of like, hey, she needs to be this, this, and that, I looked for one thing. Does she walk with Jesus all by herself <laughs> without my help? Is she serious about, about following Christ? And so Sharon and I, who we've now been married 16 years, <laughs> Uh, like, we were not each other's type. It, it, we, the consumer product version of love was not how we started. She was into very different things from me. She didn't like the same books. She's bored to death by history and philosophy, right? Her eyes glaze over with theology. She's into other things. She's very intellectual, but not the stuff I was into. Hated the music I listened to, still does, <laughs> right? And and, uh, you know, she was kind of more on the, more on the granola hippie tip. Than, uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't like who I would consider. But she was godly. And here was the other thing. She hated, like I used to play in a band for a long time, and she hated her music. <laughs> and <laughs> there was this one time, she was out on the road with us in Iowa. This was early, 
she was visiting a friend or something, came to the show in Iowa. And like, I thought that we had, we had done it. Like it was a packed out show, thousands of people there. We rocked and all that. And I was like, oh, she's going to want to make out after this. And, <laughs> and I see her and I was like, what's up, you know? And, and she's like, oh my gosh, I was so embarrassed watching you. <laughs> I was like, yes, that's what I actually need. All the consumer product approaches we have, love that they weren't there for us, but she's the love of my life. And I can honestly say, not that we hit the bullseye, but that we seriously aim for it. What God would have us is to love as Jesus has loved. Not to love selfishly, instead to stay committed and seek each other's good by dying to ourselves. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would free us from selfish love. That we would not love the way our culture screams at us that we must with an eye to our own interests, to our own good, but instead that we would follow Jesus. And I pray for marriages that are struggling right now. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict, that you would break apart stony hearts, that you would that you would release people who are clutching on to their needs like it is their God and instead would let go and grab onto the hope that we have in Jesus. Amen. We come now to the Lord's table. I am very aware during this series on the Ten Commandments as we talk about what it is to fall outside of love that we can feel conviction because some of you may, may see yourselves as breaking these commandments. And guess what? We've all broken all of them. If not in deed, then at least in thought and desire. The cross of Christ is for you and this table is for you because the only people who are disqualified are the people who say, I don't need Jesus to die for me. Being a sinner, falling outside of God's commandments only means that you need Christ and this table is for everyone who has latched on and believed in what Christ has done for them. Take a moment of silent preparation. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord took bread and giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. The body of Christ. In a like manner, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sin. Take and drink it, all of you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Let's stand and sing in response to God's grace. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. 
Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We sing Jesus. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. sing holy holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me Yes, Lord, and sing Jesus, the name above. Jesus, the name above every other name. Oh, Jesus, the only one who could ever save. You are worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love holy we sing holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you sing this is our prayer this morning that I will build my life upon your love it is a firm foundation and I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be come on let's sing holy and holy no one like 
sing it one more time. Your holy Lord, your holy Lord, and holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and to those around me. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace. <laughs>